to Dallas by Robert P. Fitton. Return to Dallas, Chapter 23. Louisiana State Highway 61, Monday, August 26, 1963. This may be the most important assignment for you, Lemon. Lee Oswald is more than likely heading to the area of Clinton and Jackson, Louisiana, late in the day on August 26th, and we don't know why. Follow Oswald out of town when he heads north. Catalog all activities of Oswald and his associates. Why is he up there? Confirm Oswald contact with an 18-year-old Jackson woman named Gloria Wilmot. You want some juicy fruit? She asked as she dipped the yellow pack of gum toward him. The pack had a distinctive flavor. No thanks. I'm just hoping Oswald is in this area. Patch gripped the wheel as he drove down the winding state highway ahead. Occasionally, smoke from a fire in the backlands drifted into the car. Oswald leads a very elusive life. She began chewing the gum and Patch smiled. But do you know they're estimating almost 200,000 people at the Lincoln Memorial on Wednesday? Dr. King. He said his anxiety spread across his gut, but he did not know why. The Impala took the state highway curb easily, past the next clump of trees. As he reached the curb where the highway straightened out, the area opened up into a combination of wood and wetlands. How do you move every African-American into the mainstream? African-American? You mean Negroes? Right. How do you make sure Negro men are hired into good jobs? Everybody has to compete equally. That won't happen either. She turned sideways toward him. There's one thing I have confidence in, and that's President Kennedy's ability to think about things and solve problems. You're right about that, he said as he crept around the curb. Then he eased on the gas, his eyes moistened. High ideals. She moved closer toward him. I think King is turning the world upside down. He's walking a fine line in this country, Sherry, said Patch, and so is Kennedy. I read about how he and his brother confronted the bigots in Mississippi and Alabama. This is America, Patch. The greatest country in the world. People will come around. Highway 10, Jackson Parish, Louisiana. Monday, August 26, 1963, 5.11 p.m. Patch returned to the car with two chicken sandwiches, fries, and a couple of bottles of Coke. The little town north of New Orleans had a silent stillness in contrast to the city. Little cool out here. Wish I had brought a jacket. You all right? Fine. We're 116 miles out of New Orleans, Patch. What's happening? Patch pointed across the street. Oswald's getting a haircut. I didn't think he needed one, but he's getting a haircut anyways. Patch looked at the lazy sidewalk extending to the curb. A simple sign with handwritten letters, Barbershop, projected outward above a white door with a dark glass window. A larger window was set in the brick facade to the right. That's bizarre. Patch set his sandwich on the dash and quickly placed the headphones over his ears. He raised the binoculars. Inside the larger window, the barber turned the chair with Oswald in it toward an oversized picture of Martin Luther King on the wall. The barber said the photo was from a communist rally. A barber shop is a good place to get a haircut and information. You know where I could get a job? The only place I know 
get jobs at Louisiana State Hospital, but do you know anybody in New Orleans who can help you get on? I don't know anybody to help. Actually, I am looking for a job at the East Louisiana State Hospital. After a short silence, the barber cleared his throat. You should go see Reese Morgan. He's a state representative. He worked there as a guard, or Henry Earl Palmer in Clinton. He's the Register of Voters. See, I believe you have to be a registered voter to work in the hospital. Where is the state hospital? Just east of here on Highway 10. What kind of a hospital is it? Well, it's a mental hospital. Oswald jumped in the chair. Oh, really? Gee, I, I wanted to get a job over there. Do they have all kinds of jobs over there, like electrician? If you know somebody, you'd have a better chance. That's a nice haircut, said Oswald. Here, let me write down Reese's address for you. I'll draw a map. Do you have change for a five? Patch removed the headphones. He grabbed the sandwich and unwrapped the wax paper. When he looked up, Oswald was gone. That barber wrote down the address of someone who could help Oswald get a job at the state hospital. He took two huge bites of the sandwich and washed it down with the Coke. I guess you have to live here to work at the hospital. Something isn't right. Why does he want to do that? You know, work in that hospital. He held his index finger as he chewed the chicken. They, meaning his handlers, need him there for some reason. Patch had half-eaten the sandwich when a shiny black Cadillac rolled around the corner. He rolled up the sandwich into the wax paper and moved the amplifier toward the back seat. Oswald sat in back of the Cadillac with his arms draped over the front seat. Two people were in front. One of them was Clay Shaw. Patch heard laughter as they passed the Impala. Shaw, the CIA guy, was in that Cadillac with Oswald. He passed his coke to Sherry. Patch waited until the Cadillac was back on the highway. Then he started the Impala. He slowly pulled onto Highway 10 and trailed the car at a distance. Let's see where they're headed. Patch secured the red Impala behind trees surrounding a hodgepodge brown house with a steep roof and a front porch overhang. A fire burned in the fireplace. The shiny black Cadillac, presumably with Clay Shaw in the driver's seat, was positioned under a tree in the front of the house. Patch was able to get a clear signal right inside the house. An older man with glasses answered the door. Oswald's first words were inaudible. No, just burning some trash, said the older voice. Oswald called the man Mr. Morgan and told him he was looking for a job at the state hospital. I could handle just about any job in the hospital's electrical department, any electrical work. I have a background conducive with electronics work. Well, that's important, having a skill. That fire feels good. Sometimes I love to sit here and just watch the fire, but it's been too hot. Yes, sir. I can look into the job at the hospital, unless one of my constituents asks first. You know how that is. You look like a civic-minded young scholar. What exactly do you mean? You know, a person registered in my parish on the voting rolls? Wouldn't hurt if you were a registered voter up here. Sherry leaned toward Patch. What did you hear, Patch? Oswald will try and register to vote so he can get a job at the state hospital. This is just plain crazy. Return to Dallas, Chapter 24 
Clinton, Louisiana, Tuesday, August 27, 1963, 8.53 a.m. The black Cadillac pulled into the red and white Texaco station just outside of town. An attendant emerged from the station and bounced around the pumps to the driver's side as the power window went down. Clay Shaw, the ruddy, gray-haired smoker who hung around the trademark building last week, popped his head out the driver's window. The attendant nodded and began pumping gas. That CIA operative, Shaw. What's he got his big old Cadillac up here for? asked Sherry. I wonder, wonder, wonder who's inside that car. Shaw rolled a crisp bill into the attendant's hand a few minutes later. The man thanked him with a salute and then the window went up. The Cadillac's tires rolled over the asphalt dirt and into the morning sun as it slowly pulled onto Highway 10. Patch allowed him some distance and then followed in pursuit. Shaw parked the Cadillac on Helena Street. On the sidewalk of a small Louisiana parish, Oswald, the lanky Shaw, and David Ferry spoke with another man. Patch listened through the headphones. What are they doing out here? Sherry snapped four pictures. He shook his head. They just looked at Shaw's license. Good. Oswald and another man in jeans were soon standing in line with a bunch of black people. That's a long line just to get a job, sweetness. I think he's about the only white guy in the line. If he's trying to register to vote, we're going to be here a while. A young woman stepped from the drugstore near a taller man. Patch swung the amplifier. Your civil rights lawyers are riding better than you are now. Well, Gloria, you talked to him when he was in the back seat of the Cadillac. Honey, when I'm in the back seat, I do more than talk. Patch looked up. That's her, Gloria Wilmont. They told her they spent the night at the Marydale farm. Congress of Racial Equality Voter Registration Drive, Clinton, Louisiana, August 27, 1963, 9.13 a.m. The marshal just identified him as Shaw, and he said he works at the trademark in New Orleans. Patch secured the headphones again. Wait. The registrar says the guy in the jeans hasn't lived here long enough to be registered. After all that waiting. This isn't making any sense. What about Oswald? He's gone inside one of the offices with the other guy. I can't hear very well. I think he showed a U.S. Navy ID card, just like Pilatus told us. The guy says Oswald needs a letter saying he lives here. The one in the jeans says he knows some politician. Both men want to work at the big white hospital, but they have to register to vote for that, according to the clerk. Oswald just thanked him and now he's leaving. Just like that. Just like that. For some reason they really want to work in that state medical facility. We'll report it and let our friends figure it out. Or maybe they want to say Oswald was in a mental hospital. Audio recording three and a half inch reel. This is Lemon on the road back to New Orleans. After our time in Clinton, we waited at the East Louisiana State Hospital just after noontime. Clay Shaw's black Cadillac arrived 15 minutes later. Neither Shaw nor Ferry exited the vehicle. Oswald, however, dressed in a t-shirt and jeans, did leave the car. He entered under the huge white stone building's Greek Revival columns. Since Oswald had visual contact with Lemon, 
Lime entered the building from the laundry area a short time later. Lime heard Oswald speaking with a female employee about procuring a job at the hospital. The woman sent Oswald to the personnel office. Oswald filled out an application at that office. Oswald said he was living with a Dr. Frank Silver and a Dr. Pearson. Lime reports that Oswald, out of nowhere, started to act crazy. Oswald shouted that he knew how to use guns. Everyone heard him scream that he was in the Marines, and he would volunteer to go to Cuba against Castro. We do not know why Oswald and his intelligence operative, Shaw, allowed such a bad impression to be left at the hospital. Here's what he said. I'm involved with getting rid of Castro, and I'm using my skills as a Marine. Lemon out. Return to Dallas, Chapter 25. Lafayette Postal Annex, New Orleans, Louisiana, Thursday, August 29, 1963, 9.35 a.m. Patch placed the return envelopes in Newton's hand. The kid jogged across the street and bounded up the post office steps. Then he entered the building. As he stared at the post office, Patch now understood why they were paying such extraordinary sums of money. Having their lives constantly threatened resulted in sleep deprivation and a pervasive inner anxiety. I had that dream again last night. Exactly the same? He nodded. The car becomes a part of the towering clouds on the horizon. It's almost horrific. There must be a way to identify the car. It might unlock the rest of your memories. Patch checked the park and then the street entrance. He now wore the 38, fully loaded, in the holster even when he slept. Too much time had passed and Newton had not exited the post office. We're going in there. Maybe Newton took the money, or somebody got to him. They crossed the busy street and were up the stairs quickly. Patched opened the heavy door and looked straight ahead. A man and a woman were in line at the counter, but the empty box area concerned him. Patch took her hand and they walked the length of the post office lobby. This is not good, he said as they reached the box. I watched that door the whole time. Is there another exit? He looked at the huge window to his right. And he's got the only key. As he turned, Guy Bannister stormed from the back room. Bannister's reddened face indicated he had been drinking. His eyes were set on Patch. Are you out of your mind? He pushed Patch against the boxes and held him. You don't hand out this key to some flunky kid. I'm being followed. What the hell do you think they're paying you for? Jesus Christ, if this ever got back, they'd take you out. But we were watching him, said Sherry. Bannister ignored her and hovered within inches of Patch's face. You owe me. You hear me, Patch? You owe me. He slammed the brass key into Patch's hand and squeezed hard enough to hurt his knuckles. Then he headed back and slammed the door. It's 100% right, said Patch. Outside the window, Bannister and Bill, the overweight intelligence agent from Rosselli's party, headed away on foot with two Cubans down the sidewalk. They disappeared around the building. Bill was the one with the gun spinning on the table. Apparently, Mr. Bannister is working with the intelligence boys in the exiles, or at least one of them. Patch returned with her to the post office box. He opened the box and removed the manila envelope. Are you going to open it, Patch? Outside. Patch checked the bulging rear tire. Maybe the tire still had problems from Argonne. 
What do you see, Patch? She asked from inside the car. We'll have to look at it later. It certainly seems drivable. We'll need good wheels. Sounds like a song from the 50s. Then he split the envelope with his index finger once he was safely inside the Impala. Enclosed with another $2,000 was a typewritten letter from Mr. Jim Pearl. He wanted to meet Patch for a Labor Day evening dinner at the Cabana Moda Hotel, Bon Viant Room in Dallas, Texas. More important was the underlying message on the second page, which was marked urgent. Urgent, Saturday, August 31st, 1963. Proceed south to Galveston. Oswald activity at the home of Robert McEwen, 45 I Street, Bayside, Texas, next to Galveston. Between 8 and 11 a.m., listen and photograph. Patch tucked the money back inside the envelope. That was a stupid move, hiring that kid. We can't second-guess it, Patch. We're just lucky Bannister was watching. I suppose you're right. It's like what Jack said in Miami. Miami? I just remember Jack driving a truck to a huge hotel in Miami. He went by the name of LaRue. Then we met Rosselli and some other important men upstairs. They were listening to Caruso. I don't understand how I got to be meeting with them. Keep thinking about it, Patch. These things are going to fully come back to you. She studied the letter. Maybe we should just tell Jim Pearl we've had enough. We want out of this. I don't think, especially with all this money involved, that you're going to tell that to these people. She nodded. This thing with Oswald, a.k.a. Hedell, trying to get a job up there at the mental hospital. Patch started the car and left it running. They won't get the tape of Oswald's trip to Clinton and the state hospital till after the weekend. Patch, I still think they wanted to frame Oswald. Say he was institutionalized at the hospital. Maybe. It's clear he's being manipulated by Howard and locally by Shaw. Maybe Bishop. There may be somebody in there that he needs to get to. Kill? No, Oswald isn't a killer. He's sneaky and cagey and a bullshitter. Maybe someone with information is passing through there. Patch pulled onto the road. He does what he needs to do and then quits like he did when he worked for that coffee company on Magazine Street here in the city. Gets a job at the hospital, has a presence there, then this guy Howard or Shaw or any of them could say he was a patient there. Patch looked at her for a few seconds. They could say he had mental problems. Yes, they've got him working both sides. I think that's for some specific purpose. Whether it goes beyond is sheer speculation. Elba's Garage, 618 through 19 Magazine Street, New Orleans, Louisiana, August 29, 1963, 1.45 p.m. What seems to be the problem, sir? asked the owner of the garage. We've had a problem with the rear tire. Since up in Oregon, a plug, we seem to be losing air. He walked around the Impala, top down, and stooped to the tire. Then he ran his finger around the outside. How many miles you put on since then? Several thousand probably just normal leakage, but we can check for bubbles. Check it, they answered in unison. You're welcome to use the soda machines, or you can get down to Martin's Cafe if you want some solid food. Thanks. He was about to call one of his men when he looked at the open back seat. Then he leaned over the edge. He turned around. Where did you get that pamphlet? The communist guy was handing them out. Come on, he said as he walked back across the cement. That's Lee. He used to be in here all the time when he worked at Riley Coffee. He worked at 544 in the Balta building. 
No communist in there. How well did you know Lee? asked Sherry. He was hard to know. He had thumbed through magazines and occasionally talked. The last time I saw him, he said he'd be working with NASA, where the gold is. How long for the tire? Twenty minutes. Anybody else with him? asked Sherry. Funny you should ask. I saw him handed a white envelope from, well, I can't tell you who, a couple times. He always had a crease in his pants. You know, he was neat. Yet at the coffee company, he was supposed to be an oiler. How do you pull that one off? That's weird, she said. Hey, come back here in 20 minutes. We'll check the tire. Thanks. They walked away from the car and into the area with the Coke machines. She held his arm. Catch. It's important information. You need to include that in the next tape. It'll be in there, sweetness. McWillie said he was psychotic. Au contraire. Mr. Oswald seems to have a wide circle of friends. Someone sat in a 1959 Chevy across the street. Our friend is back. Don't look. Is he alone? I believe he is. I talked myself into thinking he was gone. We have to leave in the middle of the night for Galveston. Whoever he is, he appears to be watching us alone. I wish he'd just go away. Complete audiobook of Return to Dallas is available at audible.com.